I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. and more than 60 American citizens continue to be held as hostages. If we're going to go, then we need to go now. What happened? Six of the hostages went out a back exit. Where are they? The Canadian ambassador's house. We've got revolutionary guards going door to door. These people die. They die badly. White House? Who wants the six of them out? What we like for this our bicycles. Deliver the six bikes, provide them with maps. Or you could just send in training wheels and meet them at the border with Gatorade. It's going to take a miracle to get them out. Welcome to Rewatchability. It's the podcast where we rewatch old movies and look at them through a modern lens. I'm Robert Larone, and with me is nobody that you would expect to be here. Blaine is somewhere on a secret mission, somewhere Vancouver Island. JM, he is at home sick with a kid. He's doing the parenting thing like people have to do. Mrs. Doubtfire. He's, he's Mrs. Doubtfiring it. Uh, today we have a very special guest. His name is... Sina Romani. And you are one of the co-hosts of JM's other podcast, The Hot Take. T. Earl Grey Hot Take. Right. <laughs> the, the Picard podcast, which yes. we alluded to last week. And you were actually going to be on the podcast... Last week to talk oh, wow. about Star Trek First Contact, but uh, you couldn't make it. I was it. sick last time. Yeah. Now JM has a sick kid, so yeah. we're just trading it off. It's going around. It's going <laughs> yeah. around. But we're glad to have you here today to talk about what I assume must be one of your favorite movies. Oh, yes. <laughs> but we'll get to that. First of all, we should thank our Patreons. Those are the folks who give us $1, 3 or $5, just a little bit of money that helps us keep the podcast going. It helps us finance operations overseas. And in return, it, by giving us a little bit of money, we give you a little bit of something. You get the podcast early. You get it ad-free. And also, it's in better quality. You get full stereo sound. So if you want to be a Patreon, if you want to contribute that way, go to patreon.com slash rewatchability and donate there. It's for a mediocre cause. <laughs> like any good thing in this world. <laughs> yes. Now, we are talking about 
Argo, the 2012 Ben Affleck movie. Huge movie. It not swept the Oscars, but it did pretty well that year. It won the Best Picture. It also won Best Editing and Best Adapted Screenplay, I believe. And, of course, the Oscars are coming up. So this is really a great time to talk about this. And I don't think Iran's been in the news or anything. (laughs) So it's not like a sensitive subject or anything. Yeah. Yeah, definitely not. No. It's a quiet time for U.S.-Iran relations. So, Sina, why did you want to talk about, again, what must be your favorite movie, Argo? <laughs> well, technically, I didn't want to be. <laughs> I didn't want to do this movie. Okay. I'm technically being held hostage right now. Whoa! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Somebody called Jimmy Carter. <laughs> uh, it's... It's it's been in my kind of crosshairs for a while right. to talk about this. I You have I, another podcast. Yeah, I have a thir- I have yet another podcast. And it's not about Star Trek. It's, it's not. There is an episode about Star Trek, however, Ooh. on this podcast, okay. but um it's called The East is a podcast. I talk okay. a lot about the region of the world sort of called the Middle East. It's mm-hmm. we call it on the show West Asia. It's a different that's another story unto itself. Right. But Iran is sort of like a we we do a lot of shows about it. We do a lot of shows about Iran. We did a couple episodes on we me. Uh, <laughs> Uh, on the assassination of Qasem Soleimani most recently. But, yeah. And yeah, the, the Iran, there's, the, if you're interested in Iran stuff, definitely check out the podcast because I got a lot of episodes about Iran specifically, but also the region more generally. That sounds awesome. I'm definitely going to check that out because I did a whole bunch of reading about Iran this morning on Wikipedia and I feel like I don't know <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you're part of an illustrious club of most people on the planet. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so this movie is kind of part and parcel. It's an interesting time. It's from an interesting moment in right. kind of world history, mm-hmm. uh, especially in relation, sort of cultural history of U.S. Iran. Mm-hmm. It comes from a sort of strange place in the relationship. So right. it'd be fun to sort of tease this out a little bit. I've been doing frantic googling too. So nice. Okay, uh, good. We're ready. And so you've never talked about Argo, though, on your podcast. No, I have not. I've been meaning to get around to it of doing a couple of watch episodes, but just the thought of suffering. I saw this movie day <laughs> one when it came out, and I remember I remember thinking, I was like, that was okay. That was right. kind of weird. Uh, it was like worth it was sort of worth ten bucks or however much I paid. Were but you I have not thought about it. Uh, I wouldn't say excited. It's definitely strange to see Iran on the kind of silver right. screen because it's rare, and that's kind of what we should talk about today. Is that it's it's almost uh, non-existent to sort of have right. a, a Hollywood kind of grappling with for sure um, any issue in, in in recent Iranian history or any issue in Iran recently at all. Yeah, and so especially this story of the so-called hostage crisis. Which we can talk about why I say so-called uh, that this that this sort of bringing out this story, especially the sort of secret story underneath mm. the well-known hostage story, hostage crisis, whatever. That's sort of worth sort of thinking about and saying. I didn't really know about the whole prequel to all this, like the revelations that this was based on a true story, blah right. blah blah. But you know, I went in there with an open mind, and I left. And I was like, that was okay. But yeah. So, what about you? When did you see it for the first time? Ah. Uh... You know, it's kind of hard to say because I know that I've seen it, but I don't really remember. I think that I also thought it was okay, but kind of like mediocre and forgettable. And it's like definitely one of those... Like most movies. Like most movies. (laughs) But also like it's one of those Hollywood prestige movies where you know they're going for an Oscar. So it's like they cast all of your Hollywood friends from your favorite TV shows. Like we've got Brian... Cranston, we got the dude from Friday Night Lights, (laughs) Taylor Schilling from Orange is the New Black is his wife. So, like, these are all, like, familiar faces doing, like, the dress-up, the sort of, like, Hollywood, you know, community theater troupe. Yeah. 
so I don't generally like that sort of movie, but I do like movies that are about like real world events. Yeah. And you always have to take them with uh, several large blocks of salt. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't remember it being like super memorable to me. I do remember that I was a little bit hopeful because I had started to appreciate Ben Affleck as a director. He had done Gone Baby Gone, which was like a solid sort of, uh, you know, whatever that sort of movie was. Yeah, he was doing well at this time. Yeah, and it seemed like for Ben Affleck, you know, who had had this, like, arc from, like, you know, having to write his own place in Hollywood. And, of course, you know, they got an Oscar for Goodwill Hunting. And he became this guy who was – he seemed like he was trying to do something. The acting thing didn't seem like it was maybe working out for him for a while. And it seemed like maybe directing will be his thing because he did a pretty competent job. And – you know, if he just stay behind the camera, we wouldn't have uh, so many problems. But, yeah, I, I didn't remember loving it. And uh, Mediocre is a good word. Yeah. It's mediocre. I mean, there are parts of it that are, I think, pretty competent. Like, he was obviously taught how to direct a film by somebody. But it, it also, like, like any movie that is sort of directed by a Hollywood star, yeah. it seems like... You know, a little bit like there's not a lot of depth to it sometimes. And all, and the, the so the part of this, too, is that I think there's kind of two ways to look at it. There's the sort of art object or commodity, yep. like film text or whatever mm-hmm. called Argo, as and all the sort of things inside of it that are interesting and not so interesting. Mm-hmm. And that you can sort of judge them on their own character. And then the historical events and the... Not just the historical events themselves, but the way in which the relationship between the ever sort of fluctuating relationship, culturally speaking, politically, also uh, between the U.S. and Iran. So that's always yeah. that's always part of the character of, of that's always sort of part of the calculus in reading this movie because sure. Iran is a kind of special place, holds a special place in the sort of American political imagination yeah. because of this singular event that this movie is tied to, right? And it's usually understood as a kind of a historical calamity for the U.S., this humiliating spectacle. Mm-hmm. So for this movie, what the first thought I had, I was like, oh, they turned this huge loss for the U.S., this moment of – this sort of huge loss of power and this display of sort of helplessness right. of the world's largest hegemon cannot, could not be able to extract its own people and turned it into this kind of, you know, decently constructed – spy thriller kind of rescue op movie that has like elements of sort of better movies inside of it like there's like sort of I I recognized Wag the Dog Mm -hmm. from like 2000s and hold the sort of fictionalization of this I recognized also Spy Game which was like a really good spy thriller in the sort of genre Mm -hmm. and that style and I recognized what else a kind of classic hostage fantasy which has its own sort of Iranian mark on it because you have movies like Not Without My Daughter which is like the paradigm Digmatic example, but essentially, the I'm actually I was I'm kind of half writing a book on the effect of the I'm supposed to be at least supposed to be pitching <laughs> one, but I have a kind of pitch for it that I've just been sitting on. But essentially, it's like the the importance, the sort of singularity of the of the so-called hostage crisis of what happens. I call it the embassy seizure, right? The Tehran embassy seizure, but you know if we're going to call it that, but like the sort of signifier around it is really important, to sort of American cultural history, and also it defines our era of modern news because right. it added a kind of it was it 
just happened to take place at a time where satellite news is really becoming a thing. Live uh-huh. feeds from all, all parts of the world are really becoming a thing. Suddenly, this foreign world that existed only on maps and in textbooks right. now is beamed into your home. Yes. But it's also terrifying because yes. there's people who can't see. Mm-hmm. So that kind of strange violence, sort of visual violence to the American psyche and the view of the world, I think plays throughout sort of we can still see it to this day and CNN and like that kind of like what happened to to our empire or whatever yeah. that kind of thing and that plays into this but then it also the metaphor of the hostage itself is something that commonly gets used as not just a plot device but a kind of framing device right. for a lot of texts a lot of movies mm-hmm. getting obviously the most most important one is not without my daughter but the fact that so few american movies are made about iran and they just so happened to counter center around hostages, like being held against your will. Yeah. So like this is no accident, historical accident. And so Ben Affleck gets a twofer. He gets the benefit as sort of on the one hand with the art, with like whatever text he's making, he draws upon historical legitimacy, right? Mm-hmm. And he draws upon like the actual events. So I actually made like a bingo card for this movie <laughs> of like how, it, like one of them is like grainy footage, right. women chanting in like Chador, which is like the big black yeah. sort of coverall. Another one is Iranians are sort of sly, untrustworthy, and it, like this this movie hits all of them, right? You know, like and and so always shouting is, angrily, <laughs> yeah, death to America, <laughs> like pictures, like gratuitous pictures of Khomeini. So like these are stock images that right. really come out of what's known as the hostage crisis. So there's a weird kind of snake eating its own tail right. in staging this, Damn. right? And then on top of that, you have this five minutes. Uh, what would you call it? A kind of preamble? Not a preamble, but uh, right. like you have this five-minute formally sort of exceptional or sort of out-of-place thing of this animated history of Iran, which is yeah. you know so-so in terms of quality. But it really kind of telegraphs this you know liberal understanding yeah. of American empire, which is, oh, we did some bad shit, okay? And this is why they hate us, <laughs> which on, this, on the surface looks like, oh, okay, wow. But then you watch the movie and it's like this like silly little hostage right. show. And as we'll find out in like the next – we can we can talk about it. Most of the last parts of the movie are just made up. Yeah, it's just made up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, those are definitely great points, and we'll talk more about the intentions of this movie and perhaps like what the people who made it are trying yeah. to do or say, or the people who were involved in it. But let's just start with the plot. Oh boy. Of this movie. It does start, as you said, with like the comic book animated yeah. history of Iran. And yeah, I mean, it does, you know, mention the American coup and all yeah. of that stuff, but it is pretty like, you know, ba, 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 and then we're into the movie. And yeah. one thing that I thought was interesting when I read in my research was that, you know, Ben Affleck, he liked the script, but he thought that. It was unfair in the way that it portrayed Iranians. Oh, okay. And so he put on that little part Interesting. at I the beginning to sort of like to dilute yeah. some of that. But you're right. The rest of the movie doesn't follow suit. Like there are no yeah. sympathetic Iranian characters except for the one that we'll talk about. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot to uh, yeah. get into. So it basically starts with the embassy, American embassy in Iran, and they are being surrounded by uh, college students, and they're they're essentially like waiting to see what will happen. And you know, the people inside the embassy, the people inside the embassy, and we got people like Scoot McNary is one of those guys, and the woman who plays his wife on Halt and Catch Fire. Have you seen I don't know that? It. Oh, it's so good. Is it good? Yeah. Well, basically, like. 
he's in it and his wife is in it, and they're great in that. I think he's good here too, but it's you know. Do they play the husband and wife pair? They do. Oh, okay. So that's okay. That's who that is. It's uh, weird. Yeah. But they start to see the people coming over the wall, and they start to put in measures to evacuate. And we're sort of set to understand that there is like. There's about 60 people in, like, one place, and then there are, like, these other six people in, like, another place. And the the 60 people, this movie's not about them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This movie's about the six people who were able to escape from the embassy as it was being stormed or whatever. And they eventually sort of made their way out, and they took refuge in the Canadian ambassador's is it his house or is yeah. it the embassy? Yeah, it's the private home. Right. Private home of the Canadian embassy. Canadian ambassador. Yeah. And he's played by... The guy from the Titanic movies. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Victor Garber. Okay. He's also in Alias. Okay. An with... actual Canadian, too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. They, well, they had to get, you know, they have to make it authentic. You know, this, this movie, I think we should say, strives to be as authentic as possible in terms of casting, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. and uh, the look and the aesthetic and that's part of why it wins. Mm-hmm. That's part of why it does so well is that everybody loves a costume drama, mm-hmm. even if it's like the seventies. For sure. And so the Iranian hostage crisis is happening, and the world is reacting to it. And we see it all in like media clips, and yeah. there's a bunch of like news footage and stuff that might be like reenactments of footage and stuff that is actual footage. And while that is all happening. Somebody has to save these other six people. So who are they going to call? It's got to be Ben Affleck. So how do they actually get to Affleck? It's like because they're floating a bunch of options of how to get these people out. Yeah. And there's different suggestions for them. And then. Well, he's supposed to be an exfiltration expert. Like they say that he's done this hundreds of times. He's the guy to get. And they have a couple of plans. Like their one plan is to use bicycles, which great plan. You get a little bit of exercise. uh, Very progressive. We all like our bikes in Toronto. And. They also have another plan, which is to say that these were teachers and they were coming in to teach. But there are problems with both of these plans. And Ben Affleck, he is the smartest guy in the room because he just shoots down all these plans like this. Boom, boom, boom. He knows they're not going to work. Yeah. What about missionaries? Seeds of hope. Hold on. Sir, do you have this newspaper in front of you? Would you mind taking a look at it? What's in this picture? Tehran. Right. What's on the ground? Snow. Right. So what crops are the do-gooders inspecting under Frosty? Sir, ex-fills are like abortions. You don't want to need one. But when you do, you don't do it yourself. He doesn't have a better idea. No. Not until he goes home and he calls his kid on the phone. This is the worst. Because... The domestic subplot is just... Just edit that shit out, you narcissistic fuck. We need to understand why he's doing these things. Yeah. Because he has a boy. And also he's like – he has a, an estrangement. He's like separated from yeah. his wife and yeah. he hasn't seen his kid. And it's he's Johnny Brasco too. 
It's like Donnie Brasco. There's so many other movies in this, better movies. Yeah. From like a certain era of, of like movies before Ben Affleck was big. For it's sure. It's all these movies that one. And that subplot was just like so cringe with like he basically invents. He's inspired watching Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Watch with his, his son yes. over the phone with yeah. his like not a strange son, but he kind of like he's like a divorced dad. Yeah. You know, you can tell that he's like, you know, it's cost him his, this, his, his dedication, all the cliches, his dedication to the job has cost him his family. And yeah. Here he is sort of like fighting the good fight for the country in secret and there's like a skeptical State Department. There's like all the like, oh, CIA versus State Department and this and that and whatever. So it's yeah. like cliche, 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 yeah. cliche, cliche. We, we just need and to he's assume... like inspired by the costumes of fan of, a, fan yes. of, of um, Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, oh, we can make a movie out of this because they're trying to concoct a, a pretext to have these people out. And so that becomes the pretext to make not just any movie but like a sci-fi movie. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And so the deal is is that they're going to go in. Ben Affleck's going to go in. His name is Tony Mendez, and he's going to get all the papers for all these people, pretend that they are a Canadian film crew scouting locations in Iran, and then they will fly out of the airport. They'll sneak past all the Revolutionary Guards, and it's it's a very slim chance that it's going to work. But... It's the best chance they have, goddammit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And guess what happens? It works. Wow. And this, like, thrilling escape sequence that's, like, cut, spliced with, like, these nefarious but sort of hapless Iranian guards yeah. chasing them down off the runway and stuff. And then they fly away and well, they if celebrate they with alcohol. If they didn't escape, then there would be no heroic movie about them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so funny. So I might as well get this out of the way. That's all made up. What? That's all made up. What? Like they had no problems at the airport. It was totally fine. It's all made up. It's all bullshit. Damn. Like from the moment, like a third of the movie is basically like ah, spice it up with a little bit of fiction. That is. It's like it did not end like that. It was not like. I'm so surprised. Yeah. And a little bit shocked. Yeah. Because my experience with airports is they're all that bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like this idea, essentially they took this, you know, like what, because the other story here is that like they were given fake documents. Right. They're like given like, okay, so you got these people out by breaking law, by yeah. breaking and like and forging these people who like, and that's part of the sort of, in it, that's part of the entire framework that we understand the hostage crisis, the so-called hostage crisis, is that this this presumption of American innocence. Right. Because a hostage is by definition innocent, uh-huh. right? And that's there's no accident why. So these people that are a part of this group of six were consulary officers, so right. they were visa people or whatever. Uh-huh. They weren't quote unquote part of the military surveillance, uh, you know, um, intelligence sort of apparatus. Now we're watching today. The news is this the the green zone in Iraq. So they don't call it the U.S. embassy; they call it the green zone because right. it's like a third of Baghdad mm-hmm. that the U.S. basically claimed for itself. That right. built into this like huge fortress of, and it's this, and it's basically their their base of operations for the entire region. Now it's like a floating. It's like not a neutral site at all. It's right. politically and militarily strate- strategic. So this thing of like a hostage, someone someone who works there, at least by some, if you if you have like a if you have a certain from a certain point of view, quoting Obi Wan, <laughs> that you can you can say like oh how is this person non how is this person not implicated in the crimes I perceive to be right. by the government that you that you're working for representing right so like the and so another part of the story is that the the hostages that were African American and women were released oh. because they had quote according to Khomeini had suffered. 
suffered the tyranny of American society. Right, right. So they were released. They had like a manifest of people who were involved, and it was essentially that in their in their words that these were prisoners. Right. These were prisoners of a foreign sort of like intelligence service. If whether or not they were actually connected to intelligence is is one thing, but they were representatives of a government yeah. that had hitherto broken sort of the sovereignty of Iranian of, of Iran's government by not just helping this coup that took place sort of 37 years ago, but right. also enabling the king to sort of do what he did, this kind of quizzling monarch. And and they were also hosting him at the time. And that's part of why the embassy was seized. Right, yeah. That they took him in. Yeah, he was uh, supposedly doing cancer treatments yeah, cancer. in the United States. And the U.S., like always, like eventually like threw them under the bus and he had to yeah. leave and he ends up dying in Egypt. Yeah. But this, and this is also like, this moment in Iranian history is really important because it basically kind of, it, some people say it sort of sets the tone for the acrimony. I don't believe that because that was long set before. Right. By like actions of like, yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like no, this is... You don't a, coup your friends, yo. Exactly. So like, this business of American innocence is embedded deeply into the fiction of, and that's why the ideological work of the representation around the hostage crisis, so-called hostage crisis, back then and also now is so important. Right. And that's where the sort of other part of this movie takes place. This continues the sort of fiction of American innocence. And this movie comes out also at the same time when the Obama administration has put on the worst sanctions right. against Iran ever before any and ever imagined. So Iran's economy is ailing partly hugely because of these sanctions. It's not able to do what it needs. So like this in in for for Iranians, at least one perspective is, you know, like this is already a we've been at war with the U.S. directly or indirectly for forty years. Yeah. So to fixate on the hostage crisis as this kind of signal event for them is this kind of like you know this is one part of this history, but it's not at all. But so the fact that they focused on these this victorious aspect of it, where they these here are six people who weren't humiliated, here's were six people who weren't held right. captive. Yeah. So like that, the fact that they chose that this is itself a kind of ideological, you know, slight of hand that, For sure. that takes up that, that it's a cynical thing right because here's this guy Ben Affleck has no interest in Iran yeah. whatsoever this is not a guy no. who has any sincere interest I mean this is a cynical just like most things in Hollywood it's done for money and prestige and you know and you could see how one thing you can see the Oscar baitiness of this which is it's a movie about making movies yeah right and so the Absolutely. magic of the movies right oh this tinsel town so all these inside so this whole hostage this whole like so called historical drama is only half the movie. Right. Right? It's only half the movie. The other half is basically like takes place at Hollywood and Vine where I used to live incidentally. <laughs> like I know those restaurants and stuff and like that's where the more historical authenticity takes place. Right. That's where in the sort of production of this movie. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. can tell that Oscar like 70 year old Oscar voters sitting in there like like proud of themselves and like their lifetime in the in the pictures. They're, that's us. That's us. Like it's <laughs> their movie. Like hey. they love that shit. They swallow it up. I know Bob. But, but Iran is just and, and, and what happens with the embassy seizure is just a backdrop for sure yeah and that's why ultimately the movie's just a piece of shit <laughs> um save it for the end <laughs> but yes there is the whole hollywood aspect of it so ben affleck's character decides to he's going to put together this sci-fi production so he goes to this guy who he worked with played by john goodman who has been helping him with all the exfiltration stuff and they put together a production company and this is the part of the movie that is the most accurate they rent an office it was uh, kurt russell's former office from the china syndrome apparently oh, really? yeah and then they started putting together all these materials all the poster and they started looking for a script and all of that stuff and yeah that's all like alan arkin who 
of course, we love from Little Miss Sunshine and also yeah. John Goodman, who's amazing and everything. A couple of weeks ago, I was seeing a trade of Vicks. I was enjoying a Mai Tai when my pal Warren Beatty comes in. He wishes me well. We had a little chat. Seems he was attached to star in Zulu Empire, which was going to anchor that MGM slate. But Warren confided in me that the picture's gone over budget because the Zulu extras want to unionize. They may be cannibals, but they want health and dental so the movie's kaput. Which means that the MGM deal ain't gonna happen and your script ain't worth the buffalo shit on a nickel. And there's also, like, a whole lot of jokes about how, like, Hollywood is tougher than Iran, which are really cool. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. A lot of, like, blowing up your own ass Hollywood. Yeah. Like, in love with itself and, like, yeah. And also, like, the the fucking, the characters, like, they talk about Iranians, like, in a terribly despicable way. Yeah, you know, they're all, this is the thing, like, this is where this ideological aspect of the movie is like, oh, look at these dumb natives who can't tell the difference between fiction and reality. Yeah. Right? I mean, and this, the irony of all this, the the absolute irony of all this is that this itself, this movie is itself a fabrication mostly. For sure. It's, and, but being, but being fooled on you, like being, and you're being fooled by its historical authenticity, mm-hmm. but really it's just, they get away by saying based on a true story. Right. But like, my life is based on a, like a certain fiction of like respectability too but like I can say it's based on anything so like that so that's like the hilarious irony here is that this sort of like oh look we got the natives again with our power to storytell right. which is like an old colonial thing right yeah. of like to think of like the is it like a Jack Russell Terrier listening to like a phonograph right and it's like his master's voice yeah so like repeatedly throughout this movie there are scenes where Iranians are wondered are sort of are, are bewildered by the magic of these imaginary movies Movie that, that Hollywood is constructing. Yeah. So it's like, you, not only is it up its own ass about Hollywoodness, but it's also like nationalistic in the sense that, oh, our soft power in the right. form of Hollywood. Like, it's all like, it's, it's this like leftover garbage of like 90s triumphalism of like, oh, we'll get them with McDonald's and, and mm-hmm. you know, Disney. Mm-hmm. What we don't get from, you know, we don't have to bomb them. We'll just give them our culture. Yeah. Right. And we all know how that worked out, right? Like, America is <laughs> the most loved object around the world. For like, sure. Like, undoubtedly. And so this to, and especially the, so now forget the movie itself because you're used to like shitty representations of Iran. Yeah. That's just like how life goes. But to see it then get picked up as the sort of Oscar movie right. celebrated by an industry of people and you watch the – like go and watch the – I don't know if you can splice it in but like go and watch the speech like Ben <laughs> Affleck gives. Here are these four fucking gringos or five fucking gringos. They don't know fuck all about Iran. Half – like – Four out of the five of them couldn't point it out on a map. Yeah, they're proud of themselves because they've made a career like huge. Like they're they're set for life. They yeah. have Best Picture Oscars, right? Like they're set for life. They have career. Their their career is about to get a huge boost from this thing that has nothing to do with their history. That has nothing to do with you know like the violence that the revolution would that would take place. Like yeah. Iranians spilled a lot of their own blood yeah. in in this revolution. Like it cost lives. It cost a generation of people. Forget what came after. Forget the war. Forget all the shit that comes after, but like the revolution itself was a very brutal, like not brutal in this. I mean, all revolutions are, but it was violent in the sense that when you overthrow a state, 
when you like overthrow a government, a monarchy, especially the kind of monarchy that the Shah was, is that this is a quite it's a yeah. very violent act, yeah. and there will be death, there will be murder, there will be like loss, loss of so like this is not an easy thing, and so the fact that the U.S. finally sort of takes it on, right? It's like this signal moment, but then it just becomes like a backdrop for narcissistic like Hollywood delusion yeah. about itself and its own sort of greatness. Yeah, you know, because you have to tell the CIA story one way or another. If it's not going to be indirectly versus Michael Bay, like Michael Bay and like all the like Zero Dark Thirty stuff right. like that, then you have to tell it like directly through staging sort of schlocky. Because this this story was was declassified in ninety seven or something. Yeah, something by like Clinton that. and stuff. And yeah. so finally, it could kind of tell that story and blah blah blah. blah. Mm-hmm. So. This movie wins on its own merit, and like this movie wins because of all those things. It's all those things that people just eat up: period drama, America as victim, America as victor, also mm-hmm. or secret victor. But also, like the it, it also hits the same notes of like, oh, these dastardly Orientals and blah blah blah. So it's all there, right? It's all there. Yeah. Well, in the movie, the six people who are staying at the ambassador's place they meet Ben Affleck, and Ben Affleck gives them the plan, tells them what they want to do. There is some skepticism about whether it's going to work, and also they have to sort of they have to sort of deal with the Iranian government and getting you know getting like you know real permits or like you know really showing them trying to convince them that they're an actual Canadian film crew. So there is one sequence where they all have to go out to the bazaar and meet the <laughs> uh, minister of culture or whatever. And so they all pack into this VW bus and they're driving through and they approach uh, a crowd of people and they try to drive through the crowd and they just start like banging on the bus. It's like it's a harrowing scene. Yeah, yeah. I I read that apparently like the people who were like there, they weren't actually like none of that actually happened, but they were able to like walk on the streets without being like. Yeah, I mean. People like to have – I mean the aftermath of the revolution is a lot of things are happening, but it's primarily an Iranian story. It's things yeah. that are happening inside of Iran. And so part of the narcissism of this movie is to sort of like presume that in the midst of like their entire state being overthrown and like a whole new system of government is being forged, mm-hmm. right? Like there was never such thing as an Islamic republic before. Mm-hmm. Like that's – it has to be fabricated. Yeah. Like there has to be a state being made as if like people have the time to sit there and be like, oh, what about those six Americans that are missing? Yeah. As if like – as if if this is the biggest concern in life, yeah, sure. Apparently, the Iranians are annoyed when they find out that these six get out. They lodge formal complaints with Canada for forging these documents because you're basically saying like, oh, it's, you know, because if, imagine if it was like reverse the situation where some friendly government to Iran forges documents for, for six sure. secret. Like this is not like Iranians get like put foreign foreign Iranians are literally banned from coming from the U.S. Well, yeah. And then like often their students are deported like legal ones with visas. And so this business of, oh, we were just doing our job and then they broke the rules and took us hostage and like are being are sort of doing things to us against our will is, again, projection, projection, projection. Mm-hmm. Is that like and especially at the time this movie comes out, there's a strange thawing that takes place or soon afterwards that's when the so-called Iran deal the JCPOA right, yeah. this is in the lead up to that yeah so in sort of the history of the U.S.-Iran relations, there are ebbs and flows of sometimes Iran is more, well, sort of better represented yeah. and sometimes it's not. Now we're in a particularly low period. Yeah. But like this is the nature of American obsession right. with Iran is that it has a democratic flavor and it also has a Republican flavor. Right. And we're in that one. And so this is like – so this movie kind of represents I think in some ways a sort of both – it's very typical – 
mm-hmm. typical failure in grappling with Iran and like what takes place. And it's also just narcissistic. Yeah. Because it's just like there's a way more interesting story in this movie about the actual seizure of the embassy. Because mm-hmm. there was whole drama in that. But that would never be a story Hollywood could right. take on. That would never be and it would never be able to find some Iranian movie yeah. and translate it and release it. And it would never happen because this is not something that ideologically you want to portray because mm-hmm. this is like a blow to your eminence in the world, right? It's humiliating to see your countrymen having their having themselves like be having, you know, stuff around their blindfolded or something. Yeah. Like think about how how Iraqis felt when they saw pictures of Abu Ghraib. Mm-hmm. Like that's like your nationalist center being like, oh, you're humiliating us. Like you're doing something like against our yeah. sort of fellow national. And so yeah. this is part of that. This plays into the part of that. We're still seeing the rage mm-hmm. of that moment yeah. here right now. So I think that, you know, it's all here in this movie. I'm just going to keep repeating that. Because this movie needs a plot complication in the second act, yeah. Ben Affleck has a dark night of the soul. What happens is that they decide, the Americans decide, they're not going to go through with the operation. They're, not, they're canceling it. They want them to burn the Canadian passports, and it's, it's all over. Yeah. And, you know, it could be the end for these six guys because, you know, they're going to get found out. Also, like, there are, there's talk about whether or not the uh, help is going to report yeah. these extra Canadians. Yeah. And uh, there's a particularly harrowing scene where the uh, where the girl I think her name is I can't remember what her name is now but uh, Saha yes yeah, Saha yeah, and she Saha, yeah. she's sweeping by the gates and somebody goes to speak to her and ask her like how many days the Canadians have yeah. been there with the worst this, the Persian in this in this movie is just atrocious right because it's like a lot <laughs> you can tell it's a lot of people that they just because I think they filmed this in Istanbul right yeah none of this was filmed in Iran yeah of course not, but like but like the the uh, so it's like a lot of the Parsi is just really bad right like it's a lot of like and this is common like not without my daughter it's like a lot of Arabs who are speaking in per, like bad Persian right you can hear a guy like the accent is just off like it's just not organic sounding at all right right and it's like just and the irony of that is that they went through so much work to like recreate like the corners of certain sort yeah. of those facades but they couldn't even bother to like get one of the 800 million Iranians who live in SoCal yeah. to come and like to come and just like stand there and chant in like organic Farsi at least you could do that yeah oh, shit I got one family member who could probably find 10 people <laughs> in his high school who could do that for them you pay them 100 bucks they'd be there nice <laughs> like no problem no no paperwork <laughs> like, yeah. they, they could you do don't have stuff. to pay them but scale. like the point is to them we're all the same it's right. not worth yeah. like, like I remember th- th- there's something in the book I remember I read chunks of the book it was awful the, uh, the, the book Tony Mendes is, yeah, book? the book that it's based on wow it's bad okay uh, there's a part where they're like oh we practice Canadian pronunciation do you really think that an Iranian guard at the airport who's like got a lot of problems yeah. who has like spies coming in from around the world do you really think he has the time or energy or the ability to separate Canadian English from American English well, they like have- it's all just filler it's all just like spy genre filler. There is a vital scene where they are quizzing the <laughs> yeah. six on their Canadianness, yeah. and one of the things that comes up is the pronunciation yeah. of... Tirana. Tirana. Yeah, and they really <laughs> go hardcore on it. It's like, oh, God. Where is your passport issued? Vancouver. Where were you born? Toronto. Toronto. Canadians don't pronounce the T. Some comate guard is actually going to know that. If you're detained for questioning, they will bring in someone who knows that. Yes. Mary. Who are the last three prime ministers of Canada? Uh, Trudeau, Pearson, and Diffenbaker. What's your father's name? Howard. What's his occupation? Fisherman. 
Where were you born? Halifax, Nova Scotia. Which date of birth? February 21st, 1952. I bet you that made like a big splash when it premiered at TIFF. Yeah. We'd well, love to hear yeah. ourselves, you know, mentioned yeah. in a movie. <laughs> the fucking seals eating it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we'll get to the Canadian uh, reactions to this movie in a bit. But so like the big moment comes where Ben Affleck, he basically calls Brian Cranston, his boss, and he's like, fuck it. You know, sometimes you just a man's yeah, got to do yeah. what a man's got to do. And so they go to the airport. They don't even have tickets because apparently President Carter needs to approve them buying tickets. <laughs> Nobody can buy airplane tickets without <laughs> Carter's explicit permission. You see, you like, if there's any better example, like, you see how they had to, like, there's, like, this this overriding fiction to how people write movies, which is, like, this supposed three-act structure, like, uh-huh. dramatic theory, whatever, like, rising action, climax, and you see how they were like, hmm, there's a formulaic way of making movies that people understand, that people are in tune with. Uh, how do we cram a complicated, albeit boring, story yeah. into that structure. So they just have to forge this entire third act of this kind of getaway story yeah. into like with splicing cuts and shouting bearded men right. and because like that's the when... power of the movies gets them through. With the... right. And that guy's Persian at the end. So there's this like very big the scene last at guard. the end. The last guard. And it's, like this, it's like the final boss of the video game. Yeah. That guy's Persian. Like a monkey speaks better Persian than that. Oh, like, man. It is nonsense. Like it's uh... nonsense. It's like you're the one who knows Persian? Like you're the one? Like oh, you're you mean, the expert? You mean when Scoot McNary? Yeah, that guy. Know, when he speaks, speaks Persian? No, not the guard. The guard that actually was that last guard right. is the best part of the movie. Right. I think he's the only Iranian with any kind of flair. Okay, that they like actually give a little bit of. Yeah, and he I actually like does the role well. Like yeah. he actually, and his Persian is good. So he's the only highlight in any of this shit. Uh-huh. But like when the white guy speaks Persian, you're like, it would be as if I'd be like, oh, je m'appelle Sina, j'habite oh Los Angeles, and it's like, what right. are you saying? Like, well, what the fuck? that's how I'd imagine like a white guy would speak <laughs> but, Persian. Like, but, that, but that should also tell you that like, okay, this is the expert you have, and he talks like yeah. this. Like, what does that say about your the intelligence of this operation? Like, all everything about this movie is like so cringe. But somehow, because of the magic of the movies and like the sort of the underwriting framework that these people are quote unquote innocent. Now, I'm not saying they're not innocent or guilty. Like, I'm not. This is not about what they did. But it's like when you work for a state in a foreign place, you represent that state. You benefit from the protections of that state. Right. So if you run over a fucking 10-year-old kid, you'll be you'll be <laughs> well, ferried, you'll let's be like not go crazy ferried out of the country or something <laughs> like that. Like, Or if you get arrested and you're like a Saudi national who works for whatever, you can get flown back home, right? Like there are certain, there are certain perks you have of yeah. the relationship between governments. Diplomatic community. Right? Or like even if they don't have to be diplomats, they can still be ferried out, right? And this happens all the time. Yeah. So like this, what what broke down here and the violence of why, why so that they the embassy seizure was so violent is that the um, the pretext of law that the U.S. likes to drape itself with, mm-hmm. even though it doesn't, mm-hmm. even though it has like an entire it has this entire legal way of skirting international law. You're blowing called, my mind. Called the Bush Doctrine, <laughs> right? Like and like you know, so the, the, they they have this way of like, oh, what they did was illegal. It's like, well. You also overthrew the country. Yeah. Right? So like from this embassy and it was also like BBC Persian was was part of it, right? BBC was like part of it. Like they were – they sent out a code. They said the time is exactly midnight and that was a 
to coup supporters. So it's like there's a reason why BBC Persian gets shut down. Yeah. Like it's it's so the innocence aspect of this is the sort of underwriting ideological force of this movie, and that's why it turns into a kind of like orphan story rescue drama. Right. Like, like you know, not to be glib or anything, but this is also kind of like a one of the reasons why Anne Frank's story remains so powerful. Right. Because it's like a refugee, like it's a refugee tale. Like yeah. it's a refugee like rescue. I mean, it doesn't end well, no. right? It doesn't end in the heroic way we like to imagine. But there is this romance around the um, illegal person right. foreign in the box. Now, of course, compare that with the fact that there's like literal concentration camps in the U.S. Yeah, right. Which is like, it should tell you image versus reality. Cool. Or like the beginning of like uh, Tarantino. What's the Tarantino movie? Uh, Inglorious Bastards, yeah. right? It's like this weird... It's like this weird redoing of of Anne Frank, a re sort of like mm-hmm. staging and reimagining like a revenge story of Anne Frank comes back to kill her, to kill the yes. people who kept her hostage. But like you, this is part of that kind of reimagining, but it gets the basis of oh, based in fact, historical yeah. fact. Yeah, you know, so it's just like marinating in its own sort of like bullshit. Mm-hmm. Well, they do all. Uh, get on the plane just yeah. at the last minute while the police and the guard yeah. is like chasing after them and yeah. they're like on the runway and the just plane so, is like flying yeah. you know and the pilot doesn't seem to notice anything's <laughs> going awry and he just you know they take off and they're free yeah they make it yeah. Yeah. Except, you know, it's tough for Ben Affleck because he did all this work, but he yes. doesn't get to take credit yes. because then they would take it out on the remaining hostages in yeah. the embassy. Because he's still undercover. He still works for the CIA. Yeah. He can't really do this, so he can't take credit for it. And I was like, oh. So the last 10 minutes, and I've forgotten about this, the last 10 minutes are all that bullshit. It's like, long. Like, what is this? Just end time. What, you had extra film? Apparently, <laughs> there's a, there, apparently there is a longer version. There is a director's <laughs> cut. I did not view that one on purpose. Can you imagine? I might just watch it to like watch it and be like, "What is this garbage?" Yeah, just just because I'm a sadist or a masochist that way. But um, <laughs> there's more but, yeah. scenes of Ben Affleck talking to his boy. It's just it's. I swear to God, ninety percent of this movie is the look. It's just the aesthetics. Yeah, people like the '70s. They have a kind of weird sheen to them. Mm-hmm. It's now now again with Dolomite. For where, sure. Like you, people just like that. I mean, Dolomite's a good movie. Don't get me wrong; one of the best movies of the year, I think. But like, people also like half of these movies are done in costume and makeup. Yeah, and like production design, editing too. Editing, this movie's yeah. all fucking editing, which is probably why it won the award for that. Yeah, uh, and it did not win for best director. That is the complete plot of Argo. Yeah. We'll be back after this break. I've got some behind the scenes and some trivia. So I hope you know your tidbits about, yeah, Hollywood (laughs) baloney. After this break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. We're back. It's rewatchability. We're talking about Argo with Sina Romani. Salam alaikum. <laughs> what he said. <laughs> I've got some trivia for you, and uh, 
It is not about politics. <laughs> so let's hear it. Yeah, I, I think I can stump you. As if it wasn't. This wasn't trivial enough. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this one, I think strikes close home to us as Canadians. Before Argo, there was a Canadian TV dramatization of this very there story. There was? There absolutely was. <laughs> it must have been so bad. <laughs> it, maybe it wasn't. Because who starred as Ambassador Ken Taylor in that version? I don't know. Fucking Donald Sutherland? Oh, so close. <laughs> guess, guess another like Canadian actor, old white guy. Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, you're so close. <laughs> no, it's uh, it was Gordon Pinsent, the quintessential. Oh, I was thinking Bronson Pinchot. I was like, Valky? <laughs> that could work, Wait, though. Wait, who's Gordon Pinsent? I know that name. He's like in the 80s. I know his face. Whenever Canadian face. movies were made, he was the guy. And he was in that movie uh, Sarah Polly made, Away From Her, as the old dude. That's probably. I'm sure I'm gonna look this. I'm gonna look this up. And be like, oh, him. You'll recognize okay. him. He's, you know, when what decade is it an '80s movie? '80s made for TV. Yeah, made for by whom? CBC. I I guess so. It's it seems very local. Like there's a bunch of local theater actors like R. H. Thompson, and there's one guy whose name is very similar to mine. But like it's local not Toronto, me. you mean? Yeah. Okay. Like it's very local, but I don't know. You know, when that the- was part of the whole thing. I was reading that in the book. Part of the whole operation was that this was a Canadian thing. Yeah. That this was done by Canada, and so they had to minim they had to minimize the role of the CIA. But in fact, it was like the Canadians were like, "Can you get these guys out? This is really bad. Yeah. And we're gonna shut down our embassy anyways. Yeah. So like. That was part of, you know, in the book, he kind of confesses to being a little embittered by it. Mm-hmm. The Mendez or whatever his name, Ben Affleck's character. He he sort of admits to being like embittered. But, but this was part of the operation was that yeah. it was that there was not it was nothing to do with the U.S. It was something to do that Canada did. For and sure. Canada was supposed to take up the blame. And this guy being this this ambassador being celebrated so widely. And I guess this movie, too, was part of that. Yeah. I mean, it's insane to think about it, the degree to which the culture industry has its tentacle has like Tentacles in it from intelligence. I mean, not just like to this day. In oh, the we'll form get to that. that. But like, yeah, it's it's insane. So the, the the Canadian response to this movie was also angry because it it minimized the Canadian involvement. And in this movie, like uh, Victor Garbo plays Ken Taylor, is mostly like bumbling around and yeah. being sort of worried. I did watch a documentary that was sort of done in response to Argo by Canadian. It's actually done by E One, which does the podcast here. It's called Our Man in. Tehran. Oh, really? Yeah, and it apparently, like, I mean, it goes much more into the operation, and Ken Taylor was apparently, like, doing, like, full-on, like, surveillance for the Americans and, yeah. you know, sending it straight to the Pentagon. So, yeah. like, there, was, everything was happening So much for diplomatic neutrality. Nothing was happening <laughs> yeah. that happened in this movie. Also, like, Tony Mendez, his involvement has also been, it's sort of aggrandized for the film. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So he was kind of part. That's interesting. That adds another layer. So to one it. guy who his name's Bear. He said Argo had nothing to do with reality. Robert Bear. Maybe. Yeah, the CIA guy. Yeah. He says anybody involved in that operation knows that the unit Mendez worked for is fictional. He was a makeup guy. He made the first mustache I used. That's actually what he says in the book that he was for forgeries, mm-hmm. and like he was he was like an artisan, right? Like he wasn't like a planner or like a fixer of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it could be that this is all just bullshit, anyways. Yeah. Okay. So question number two. 
Robert Bear is an interesting character, though. He wrote the book that Syriana is based That's on. That's what I also read. Yeah. Now I want to look into that. Robert Bear is a weird guy. Yeah. He's not. He's now like writing novels. Like he's a he's almost borderline grifter, right? In terms of like just sort of selling his own credentials as the CIA guy. But I wouldn't put it past him to like tell the truth about this, hmm. just to like fuck with the CIA. Interesting. Okay, so which comic book artist did the storyboards use for the adaptation of Argo in the movie? The, in the real life? I think I actually know this. Do you? Ralph McQuarrie? No. No, no, no. He, the he's ones a Star who did for in, the, in the real life for the movie. Oh, okay. No, but I think he, Ralph McQuarrie in real life. Wasn't he involved? No, I'm thinking of something else. You could be right. So what I was looking for was Jack Kirby. Oh! He did the original storyboards for Lord of Light, which was the movie right. that they changed into Argo. Argo. For the actual right. Jack uh, mission. Kirby. Yeah. Jack Kirby the Spider-Man? Yeah. 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 And yeah, and I think all yeah. of the other Marvel ones, I can't name them specifically. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. There you go. I th- and yeah, I don't know whether they use them for the for the film or not. But uh, And it's totally impossible to tell whether they, anybody even looked at them ever. No. Like they could just be a cheap plot device for the movie. Yeah. And the fact that the movie ends with like the that that sort of image of it and he like steals one for Oh, Ben's some Iranian guy is selling a Jack Kirby original, you know, <laughs> yeah. for big dollars in the bazaar. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah. In the movie, the character Jack Kirby is played by Michael Parks, but he doesn't... I don't think that they say he's Jack Car- Kirby or... Oh, really? Okay. I think they just show, like, a guy drawing just some things... chambers. ...in part of the... Oh, yeah, and he's, like, Mesopotamia? Yeah. Mesopotamia or... Per- yeah, Iran. And he's like, yeah. oh, yeah. Okay, so that's supposed to be Jack Kirby. Interesting. Okay. Okay, third and final question. This is for all the dollars, which is none. <laughs> Screenwriter Chris Terrio, who wrote the screenplay for this, uh, he's had some other big successes since Argo. Name two other movies he's credited writing that also star Ben Affleck. Boah, I don't even know. Can you name two other Ben no, Affleck movies? I couldn't. Okay. I've put that out of my brain. <laughs> that's fair. And Not Gone, Baby Gone or whatever. No, I think once I that. say the titles, you will I'll uh, know them, I'm sure. you'll, you'll, be, you'll be happy you put them out of your brain. It was <laughs> Batman v Superman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Martha. Martha. So bad. Martha. <laughs> so bad. So stupid. And also. I just, I forgot he was Batman. That happened. He was Batman. Like, yeah, he <laughs> took all of any whatever goodwill that he had gained in <laughs> yeah, Hollywood yeah. and he cashed it all <laughs> yeah. into the bat suit. Just lit it on fire. <laughs> and it did not work for him. Like, Look at him. He's broken. He's, he's oh, broken. He's, he's like, done. He's done. He's like he's like Jake Lloyd. He's like off in some institution. Sorry, Jake Lloyd. Did you see Ben Affleck's back tattoo? <laughs> ben Affleck. That'd be a good name for a band. Yeah. Ben Affleck's back tattoo. He has a terrible giant oh, back tattoo. Cringe, bro. Yeah. Just buy yourself a car. <laughs> Just buy yourself another car. Yeah. So this movie, I mean, it had somewhat inauspicious beginnings. As you uh, mentioned, it did come from a book by Tony Mendez. Uh, it is called Master of Disguise, which uh, I assume was also the source material for the Dana Carvey movie. <laughs> Mr. Turtle. <laughs> but the operation was classified until George Tenet yeah. was the person who declassified it. And he actually urged Tony Mendez to write his autobiography and to sort of put it out there. Now, George Tenet... If you don't, if that name strikes a chord, he was one of the people who was behind the uh, falsifying of intelligence for the war in Iraq and uh, also was big into methods of 
interrogation yeah. that have been used around that time. So that guy was not a great fella. But basically, he was trying to turn around the reputation of the CIA. Makes sense. Which had been depicted, yeah. you know, probably out of all the government agencies as the worst because... It is the worst. They're, yeah, they're terrible. Yeah. And they really wanted to be able to paint uh, the CIA in a better light. So it began really trying to get into Hollywood. And it did a lot with Ben Affleck to sort of facilitate that. So. It started, apparently, Ben Affleck's connection with the CIA in uh, The Sum of All Fears, which, of course— Oh, God! Yeah, is a uh, Jack Ryan sort of movie. Of course, they're still making uh, Jack Ryan. There's Uh, a series with uh, Jim from The Office. Yeah. You know, Regime change, Jim. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But— God, so this whole movie is an op. This whole fucking movie is an op. It is. But so it it goes further. I mean— Robert Bear is probably right. He probably is right. I mean, he's kind of a weirdo, but he's probably right. There was also the show Alias, which starred Jennifer Garner, who was married to Ben Affleck for a time. That's connected to CIA, too? Yes. And it also starred Victor Garber. But, yeah, they gave a whole bunch of assistance to that show. And in return... Jennifer Garner did a CIA recruitment video. Wow. Normal country. Yep. Normal country. Yep. So this movie is an op. It's an op, and that's why it won Oscar. Well, pro- I mean, it probably no, this doesn't happened. hurt. Okay, like there's there are movies that literally win Oscars because of intelligence reasons. Like yeah. there's a movie about um, like movies about places in the Middle East. You should be extremely wary of. So there's right. a movie about the White Helmets. I'm pretty sure. Okay, there's a like a I think they're called they're called the White Helmets, which are this shady group of mostly young men in their 20s and 30s who have. Who are was started by a former CIA, former MI6 or like British intelligence officer, uh-huh. and it, they always showed up to like scenes of atrocities by the Syrian government, right? With high profile, with high definition cameras, and they always had satellite phones, and like they're well placed. And there's like a movie about them that won, I think, I think. I think it's – I'm pretty sure. And so like those those ones when they win like that, it's not about the artisanry, artisanry of the movie. Yeah. It's that like this is like the candidate we're putting forward and like mm-hmm. it's not out of the realm of possibility that this actual movie is an operation. Well, there Because if that's Robert Baer saying that, um, then, then the book itself is kind of an operation which then they turn into a movie which continues the sort of work. And it would make sense why this mediocre movie – Gets an Oscar. Because, I mean, not that mediocre movies don't get Oscars, but what else was in the running that year, I wonder? I don't remember. Oh, I don't remember. I mean, that was like a down – that was before the 10 nominations a year, was it? Yeah. I was actually living – this is funny. I was living not more than 150 meters away from where the Oscars are filmed, the Kodak Theater. Oh, yeah? I was like right there and you could see it. Like you could see – like they block off the streets. There's roadblocks and everything. You could have thrown something at Ben Affleck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like I remember now. I remember – God. Man, you're blowing my mind here. Yeah. Well, this movie, the cooperation of the CIA was so integral to the movie. It was actually one of the first movie in at least 15 years, possibly ever, that was allowed to film at Langley. Oh, yeah. At the CIA headquarters. So that's pretty hand in hand. And like we've talked about this, I think, on the podcast before because another movie that has uh, been – tainted by CIA involvement and government involvement is Zero Dark Thirty. Oh, yeah. The Catherine Bigelow movie, which is like... This ode to torture. Ode to torture. Yes, exactly. 
And yeah, just like so questionable yeah. and problematic. And again, you know, this, probably won an award. This, wasn't it? No, it was no, definitely it was after, after. Yeah, after. yeah. yeah the, the movies that this one beat in 2012 were Amour, Beast of the Southern Wild, Django Unchained, Le Miserable, Life of Pi, Lincoln, Silver Linings oh, this Playbook, was the 10. This was and the 10. Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah, it was a big yeah. wow. year for the CIA and their propaganda efforts. Insane. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds like it's a conspiracy theory, but like if you're like – if you're some bored guy at the CIA and you have like an unlimited budget and your task is just to fuck shit up like and to like keep this kind of hex going on certain countries and then also distract from other countries. Mm-hmm. So like what's it to you if you like support this movie that some idiot, some coked out idiot in Hollywood is doing for you? Yeah. Because that's what ideology what the ideology does is that it, 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 it seeps into people's brains that there was this thing called the hostage crisis and people remember and they watch clips about it that were put out at the time and then it's like re – it's re-entrenched in your mind as something historical and then you recreate it based on those images you have. It's not like the writers sat there and did mm. this deep study and commission. It's not like scholarly stuff. This is Hollywood. This is schlock. Yeah. It's not meant to be intellectual. So, you know, woo. Yeah. I forgot to mention my favorite part of the movie. It's actually the credits. And not just because I wanted it to be over, but because they do this really <laughs> great thing where they show how good they are at casting by showing the IDs of the six, the Canadian fake IDs, and they show it next to oh, the pictures yeah. of the actor. And, okay. like, some of them are really close. Like, yeah. the guys with the mustaches, the mustaches match, yeah. and Clea Duvall looks like Clea Duvall. Yeah. And, you know, you're, like, waiting for them to get to Ben Affleck. And they never, <laughs> yeah. they never show ben Tony Mendez next to Tony Mendez. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> There's some controversy about this because uh, Ben Affleck casted himself uh, as a guy who was uh, not white. Yeah, yeah. And also, like you know, like I saw the, I watched the documentary, and they have interviews with the guy. Looks nothing like Ben Affleck. <laughs> yeah, Even yeah. like, you know, it's not a shade issue. Yeah. It's like this Ben Affleck's like six foot four. This guy's like five foot eight. Yeah. And it's it's totally not the same. And yeah, he has brown skin. So it yeah. there's something you that know would make him fit in more with more Iranians. Five foot eight and Iranians aren't the tallest of people. Right. <laughs> uh, so it makes sense. Yeah. It's so strange that like they wanted us to compare, but then they like shied away at the last minute. <laughs> Yeah, no, and that's the, and that's another one of these tricks that these movies pull on you is that it's historical verisimilitude, right? It's oh. matching his source and representation, but of course, it only goes to a certain point. And that's why the movie starts like that too, with grainy images, grainy real video images that are then recreated in what is probably Istanbul. Mm-hmm. One other thing I wanted to mention was that when this movie won Best Picture, it was given by two very important people. Michelle and Barack Obama. Oh, yeah, that's true. They literally gave the award for this movie, which, if anything, like legitimizes the view of this film. It seems to be that when it has like a presidential and first lady seal of approval. Yeah. And this is 2012 when they're winning this. Yeah. So this is like peak Obama. Oh, I think he had just lost the house. Maybe. I don't remember. Yeah. And there was a lot of talk about like, what is the purpose of this movie? Like, is it to put America in a position where they would be amenable to an invasion of Iran? People had that question, you know? I don't think so. I think that there's a more subtle – so any – I mean I did an episode on this 
on I, it's on my podcast if you're looking it up but like any military dreams of conquest of like solving the sort of how to how to beat back this supposedly rogue state mm. are just total pipe dream right? right like it would be a, the end of modern civilization as we know it like banks wouldn't have money you'd go to the ATM there wouldn't money would not be coming out because all the oil that keeps the money system working would be gone. It's not right. going to be flowing. Like it would be a disaster. There would be bodies, you know, soldiers like like ships on fire, like in the middle of the Mediterranean, in the middle of the Persian Gulf. There, there wouldn't be any. So it would be a disaster, calamity that we've like haven't seen in modern times. Well, it's a good thing that's not going to happen, right? So, so it's always done in the context of this. Um, it's you have to imagine it though. You have to keep imagining it, and that's kind of what this movie is about. Is that and especially if you listen to the kind of sanctimonious sanctimonious speech. That Ben Ben Affleck gives at at, at the Oscars. Right, it has nothing to do with Iran. It has he sort of mentions in Iran in passing, passing. He's like, I'd like to something about people of Iran. They're they're having a hard time there, and it's like this hand has no clue. This Iran is just a backdrop to this spy through. Right. It could have been Colombia. It could have been Afghanistan. It yeah. could have been China. That's the thing. The genre is more important than the actual content, and the fact that it got it's just what's amazing about the story. I think remarkable is that it does so well. Critically, not just critically, but it gets then this huge boost from Oscars. I mean, maybe at that year, maybe it's not an op. It's not like it's the CIA like forced this thing to win, but mm-hmm. it's more that there's like this, the votes are spread out among ten movies, or who knows. And this movie just hits all the right spots for yeah. people. You know, I think a certain kind of Oscar voter sees this and just like eats this shit up. It's like pigs to fucking shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is Argo. Uh, Cena, we do this thing where we say whether a movie is rewatchable. So, do you think that this movie is rewatchable no, for you? No, it's not. It's terrible. Don't watch it. Don't watch it. Just, I mean, if you want to watch it, but watch it and laugh. Yeah, it's just so dumb. Yeah, I mean, I'm still mad at you for making me do this. <laughs> JM made you do this. It's it true. No- <laughs> JM, I hate your guts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I have to agree. I mean, I think it's oh, one it's of those garbage. movies that like seems fine when you're watching it but then like Just, other people have said if you give it any thought no, yeah. it doesn't add up it's like terribly offensive it's like so much of it is made up and it's like yeah. we live in a time where we i think expect more of movies like we expect yeah. historical accuracy we expect casting accuracy ben affleck it's like not even hard to do no. It's not like this is some secret lost civilization. Like LA is full of Iranians. Just go ask one of them. Like this is you could do a way better job just in terms of like not just authenticity but just the quality of your artistic piece. Yeah. But when it comes to Iran and Iranians it doesn't matter. Right. And it just and that's what orientalism really sort of the power of orientalism is. You can put a Jordanian guy swap yeah. him in. Get some get some three Turkish guys, you know, get some asshole from whatever and then slap them all in, call it a call it Iran and like, you know, yeah. be, be proud of your stuff. It's not like people are the critics are going to hold their feet to the fire. No. It's not like, you know, Ben Affleck could have thought like, oh, are they going to do a podcast about this 10 years well, from now? <laughs> watch out, Ben Affleck. Yeah, I'm coming for you. I'm coming to cancel you, Ben, ben Affleck. Well, you know, he somebody that you had uh, mentioned this on Twitter, you were talking and some of your followers, you know, chimed in. And one of them mentioned that Ben Affleck is doing a movie about King Leopold and the Congo, which sounds oh, like a complete Oh, he's doing disaster. King Leopold's ghosts. Yeah. Oh, no. 
Yeah. Oh, no, they're going to make it about a white guy. Well, they are. Oh, no. When, when they describe the movie, they're just like, oh, yeah, it's a story oh, no. about how, like, yeah, the Belgians were doing a bunch of bad stuff, but there was this Irish priest or oh, something like no. that. Oh, white savior movie. Yeah. Always, always. So, always. Ben Affleck, if you're listening, uh, just, find a different project. Just find a different career, buddy. Something set in Boston. Just stop. Just go and enjoy your money, man. Why you got to yeah. work? Yeah, enjoy your back tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is rewatchability for this week. We'll be back next week with something a little less political. <laughs> Thank you for uh, joining us today, Cena. Thank you for inviting me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, where you can rate us five stars and leave a review. Your podcast... It's called The East is a Podcast. It's available on all uh, all the different things. Also, look up T. Earl Grey Hot Take. Uh-huh. You'll like both of those. Have, the first episode of Picard is out now, right? It is. We have an episode on it already. We have also two episodes prior to that. Ooh. We did an intro, and we talked about, yeah. So there's already three hours plus hours of content okay. on that podcast. So. Well, check that out. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, or you can email us at rewatchability at gmail.com. You can become a Patreon by going to patreon.com slash rewatchability. And hey, if you need something to wear over your nipples, you could buy a rewatchability t-shirt, which has been designed by JM, and that is at tpublic.com slash rewatchability. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Uh, watch, watch Iranian movies. Don't watch movies about Iran. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's so many that came out in the 90s, the 2000s. There was like a renaissance. There was, Some wasn't of the best there? movies in the world were made what in was... Iran for like $40. And like they're like they will last for they will last the test of time. Wasn't there an Iranian movie that made like a pretty big splash a couple of years ago? Yeah, there's always like The Separation. Yeah. 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 That, was, that was, was part of the thaw in relations. Right. It was kind of the ebb and flow. So that was part of Argo was part of it because it was seemingly oh, sympathetic yeah. and that movie too, but again, yeah, and it's it's also like nothing because of the nature of Iran because of just the I wrote there's an article I co-wrote with a friend of mine and it basically says you know what's happened over these 40 years is a kind of domestic drama Iran threw the US out like a bum boyfriend and right. just kind of threw it out on the street and humiliated it mm-hmm. and the US has like refused to accept the well, breakup the US killed their dad <laughs> basically, or the US basically is a kind of obsessive ex-boyfriend who like won't leave you alone and so that's that was kind of the sort right. of framework around this and you know it really is you know it's it's this weird thing that still happens to this day, which is Iran can never do anything right. It has to right. be overthrown. It's always yeah. on the brink of collapse. Yeah. You know, like all of its military leaders are de facto terrorists, oh, right? So I forgot to mention that the entire Iranian hostage crisis was exploited by Ronald Reagan for the October surprise so that he could win the election, supposedly. Yeah, there's that. It would help so take down an election. Yeah. There was a lot of talk about, like, why is Trump doing this with yeah. Iran? And, yeah. uh, you know, just. Uh, just watch for things that happen while this impeachment trial wraps up and the election comes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, don't, uh, don't believe what happens in movies. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. 